0: Chapter Twenty Seven of the Black Motor Car. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Drew Conway. The Black Motor Car by Harris Burland. Chapter Twenty Seven Jordison's Retreat. Home wrapped the thick sheet twice round him so that the edge of it hung clear from the ground, and rent two holes in it through which he passed his bare arms. It was a ridiculous and insufficient covering, but it was warm and grateful to a man whose shivering body had been exposed for hours to the cold air and water. Its chief failing as a garment was its insecurity. This could have been remedied by half a dozen safety pins, but as these were not forthcoming... The wearer had to hold the folds round his body with one hand. Thus attired, in a costume which would have been ludicrous under more pleasing circumstances, Holmes set out to explore the tunnel in the other direction, and see whether the opposite end was as completely guarded as that which ran into the sea. He had but small hopes for the result of his investigation— Jordison's plans for his death were quite clear to him and the knowledge was accentuated by the sorry jest of the coffin and the winding-sheet he was evidently destined to perish slowly of thirst and cold and starvation in a tunnel of rock securely sealed at either end but the young man's spirits which had been almost extinguished by the cold water and the final barrier that had crossed his road to freedom were rekindled by the comparative warmth of his covering the first shock of the coffin and the shroud had been horrible dealt as it had been in the semi-darkness and loneliness of the tunnel and it had certainly been conceived and carried out with the sole object of frightening the unfortunate prisoner but georderson had underestimated the strength of holmes's mind and was ignorant of its keen sense of humour a sense that could extract a certain grim amusement from the most dismal circumstances. It was undoubtedly this sense of the ridiculous that saved the young man's mind from breaking down at this critical moment. Where others might have only seen the horror of the winding sheet, he could not help wondering how he looked in the strange garments, and the possible grotesqueness of his appearance appealed to his risible faculties as to the coffin he was already turning over in his mind how he could make use of it to his own advantage the real horror of the situation lay in the pangs of thirst and hunger which were now furiously attacking his exhausted frame there were at present no means of combating these ferocious adversaries and no strength of mind could meet them with any chance of success home could fight with fear but not with his own physical necessities. However, he tried to thrust aside all thoughts of his sufferings and moved swiftly away from the sea, keeping one hand on the rocky wall beside him. As he proceeded into the recesses of the tunnel, the twilight died away into darkness, and a last faint patch of light seemed far off like the gleam of a star, "'was finally hidden round a bend in the passage. "'He counted his steps carefully as he walked "'and tried to make every pace a yard in length. "'He could not afford to neglect the smallest "'and least likely source of information. "'When he transversed about three miles, "'as near as he could judge, "'his bare foot struck something hard "'and there was a clink on the stone floor.' "'He stooped down and groped about in the darkness "'till his hand encountered a small jug. "'He had overturned it, and the rock was wet with some liquid. "'He dabbed his fingers on the damp stone and raised it to his mouth. "'Then he flung himself down and licked every inch of the rock. "'The jug had been filled with fresh water. "'A spoonful of it had collected in a small crevice,' and he tore his tongue in his efforts to extract it. This was doubtless another of Jordison's pleasantries. A hundred yards further on, he stepped on some round objects that gave and cracked beneath his foot. He stooped down again and thrust his fingers into a sticky mass full of sharp, thin flakes. He tasted it and smacked his lips, he had crushed two or three eggs into a pulp feeling carefully round him in the darkness he came across a whole one he broke off the top and swallowed the contents it was a strong flavoured egg probably that of a wild duck and not too fresh but it seemed very good to the starving man when he had drained it to the last drop and sucked the broken pieces of the shell he scooped up all he could get from the floor and enjoyed even that it was no time for nice feeding of a truth this Jordison was a merry fellow and full of devices this scanty meal and the few drops of water he had managed to gather from the rocky floor put fresh life into his body and he moved forward more rapidly but it seemed as if the tunnel would never cease, and it was not till he had walked steadily for another hour and a half that he saw the first sign of some termination to his journey all at once. The veil of darkness was pierced by a pinhole of light, a mere specks so minute that home at first thought it merely a creation of his own brain, one of those points of light that cross a man's eye in the darkness. "'But this one did not move, and the steadiness of it proclaimed its reality. "'He did not dare hope that it was daylight. "'But at least the glimmer of it offered some relief from the darkness. "'As it walked on, it grew larger and larger, "'and then became definite in shape, a small square of yellow, "'like the light of a lamp seen through a tiny window.' then there came to his ears the distant murmur of voices and then to his nostrils the glorious smell of hot meat wafted toward him like a breath of life sweet luscious alluring beyond any temptation devised by satan in this world he crept nearer and nearer to the light moving cautiously as not to attract the attention of the speakers the conversation grew more and more distinct and soon he recognized Jordison's voice. At last he came to the end of his journey and his fingers traced out a massive doorway of wood barred and clamped with iron. Ten feet to his right and on a level with his chin there was a hole about nine inches square, and a long shaft of yellow light streamed out from it into the darkness of the tunnel. Holmes sidled quietly along the door till he reached the aperture then he peered cautiously around the edge of it well aware that he was bound to be seen if any one inside happened to be looking in that direction but as luck would have it the only two occupants of the vast cavern that opened out before his astonished eyes were sitting with their backs to the door the place that william Jordison had chosen for his subterranean house was indeed princely in its proportions it was lit with a dozen oil lamps yet these did not more than make the darkness visible the roof was hidden in a cloud of impenetrable gloom deep shadows lay on distant parts of the floor the voices of the two men reverberated from wall to wall of the apartment and gave some idea of its enormous size the furniture that Jordison had brought down with him from his residence above ground looks as though it had been taken from a doll's house. The carpets, eighteen and twenty feet square, spread here and there over the floor, looked like little hearth rugs. The two men sitting before a large fire of crackling logs were no bigger than the forest pygmies of Central Africa and over everything hung a gauzy veil of smoke that magnified heights and distances and lent an air of mystery to the most commonplace objects over the fire hung a great steaming kettle and to home's sensitive nostrils the whole place smelt like a kitchen he saw at a glance that the two men were lip and jordeson scraps of their conversation came to his ears and only the echo of the cavern prevented him from hearing every word they uttered. "'It ought to be fast this time. I reckon he's cold. May his soul and body rot, that coffin makes me laugh, we fair busted the old machine. "'He'll speak now, I guess, eh? "'Dead? Not much. "'He'll take a lot of killing, oh?' Yes, she's safe enough. Reckon he ought to be turning up soon, law. Ow, I shall laugh, governor, and so on and so on. Home listened in silence with parted lips. His whole body trembled with excitement the callous cynicism of Jordison and the rough brutality of his servant left no impression on his mind that had been hardened by more material evils than coarse language but he had caught a few sentences bearing unmistakable reference to lady agnes cliff and he gathered that she was still alive and confined like himself in the recesses of these subterranean caves and passages the knowledge filled him with a twofold responsibility. His own life was doubly precious, and he resolved to guard it carefully, for on it depended the safety and freedom of one for whom he would have gladly laid it down if it had been so required. He hesitated whether to reveal his presence or lie hiding till the men had disappeared and he could make some effort to break through the door he had as yet formulated no clear plan of escape even if he succeeded in gaining an entrance into the cavern the presence of lady agnes would make matters doubly difficult for she at any rate had to be saved even if he lost his own life in the attempt the question was decided for him lip made some coarse jest about lady agnes and every word came clear to the listeners ears jordison laughed and replied in the same strain in an instant holmes blood boiled with fury the yellow light became a mist of blood and he flung all caution to the winds thrusting one bare arm and clenched fist through the opening he yelled out the single word liar and the sound of it echoed and reverberated through the cavern like the shriek of winds lip and georderson both sprang to their feet and turned towards him then seeing the bare muscular arm extended towards them they both laughed and came over to the door ain't he evingley said lip with a broad grin not yet replied georderson with a quiet sneer but he will be presently at least we hope so if he has lived a virtuous life good morning mr home i trust you had a pleasant night home did not answer but drew back his arm and glared through the tiny opening of the door he read his fate in the two faces that grinned back at him the one bestial and repulsive the other keen gaunt and wild with the light of madness glinting in the dark eyes "'Jordison advanced and struck him in the face with his fingers. "'Get back, you dog!' he cried savagely. "'Home reeled back, smarting under the blow. "'But he had made up his mind to be calm and conciliatory "'for the sake of the life that was so dear to him. "'Give me food and water!' he cried, for pity's sake. "'Oh, that's your song, is it?' Jordison replied it's a tune we shall have to get accustomed to eh lip but you won't be too hard on him the first day eh lip? is the dinner ready the servant went back to the steaming pot and fishing out a piece of meat thrust it into his mouth it's good he cried lay the table over there geordison called back we don't want to seem unsociable and tell lady agnes that breakfast is ready Lip brought forward a small square table, set it down within a yard of the door, and proceeded to lay it carefully. Then he crossed the cavern and disappeared. In two minutes' time he returned, and Lady Agnes Cliff walked by his side. Her face was very white, and the dark rings under her eyes spoke of long hours of suffering and sleepless nights. As she came into view, Home cast one fierce, hungry look at her and withdrew his face from the opening. Jordison and Lady Agnes took their seats at the table and Lip brought forward the hot stew from the fire and placed portions of it on their plates. He did not sit down himself, but he took a large allowance of the food to a distant corner of the cavern. During the meal Home crouched silently against the door. He listened to the clink of knives and forks, and the hot scent of the meat was agony to the starving man. Georderson endeavoured to lend point to the situation by praising the victuals and making eulogistic remarks about the wine. At the end of the meal he raised his glass to his lips. "'A toast!' he cried suddenly. "'Long life to Mr. Arthur Home." Lady Agnes Cliff flushed, but for all that she raised her own glass to her lips and breathed a silent prayer, and it was at that moment that she caught sight of Holmes' face at the window. He had decided to reveal himself in case she might be able to release him from his prison. She gave a cry of horror and started to her feet. Jordison laughed merrily why there is mr home he said in a mocking voice how well he looks seeing that he has not had anything to eat or drink for two days i wish we could have asked him to join us but it is i'm afraid impossible long life to mr arthur home then a tender and delicately nurtured girl did a strange thing she leant over the table and struck Jordison a blow in the face with all her strength before he could recover from his surprise she had plunged her head into the hot mass of meat and thrust a few fragments of it through the hole in the door then she seized the half bottle of wine but Jordison caught her wrist and pulled her back on the table with a crash how pretty he said with a sneer "'I am afraid, Lady Agnes, I must ask Lip to conduct you back to your apartment. "'Mr. Home is starving, and so much meat is not good for a starving man.' "'You lie!' yelled Home. "'I am as well fed as you, and I could not drink any more if I wanted to.' Then he wrenched at the door and beat against the panels with his bare fists till the whole woodwork shook and rattled and the cavern resounded with the noise of his blows. Lip came from his corner and led Lady Agnes away without any ceremony, and Home and Jarderson were alone. The latter came close to the door and, lighting a cigar, smiled at the white face at the window. Well, Mister Home. I think you are fast this time. Where's Lord Harry Quay? Holmes asked abruptly. You will join him presently, answered Jordison with a grim smile, and then Home knew the Lord Harry Quay was dead. End of chapter twenty seven. Recording by Drew Conway, Kent.